This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Custard TV podcast. I hope that you are all well and we've brought with you a very special treat in the form of Gary. Hello Gary. Greetings, Earthlings. Uh, I bring you joy. No, I mean, what? Sorry, uh, wrong podcast. Hello, how are you both? Well, you Which podcast that. was that? Uh, no podcast. I'm not doing other podcasts, <laughs> I promise. I don't do any other podcasts. I don't even watch TV anymore, barely. So, you know. So, this will be a good show then. This Thanks for hyping right, the listeners yeah. up there, Gary. I love some of these shows. Boiler. There we go. Um, and uh, we have also got for the first time uh, this year, Mo, how's 2024 treating you? Can't complain. Been traveling, doing a little travel, you know, playing catch up, the normal stuff. Where have you been traveling? I went to uh, Toronto at the beginning of the month for about four days. Okay. And, and I'll be doing a little bit of traveling later in the year. I'll be coming over to your neck of the woods. Yeah. Well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're both in different woods and necks. Whereabouts are you going? <laughs> oh, it's he's American. Yeah, England's all the same to him. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not watch Masters of the Air? <laughs> sorry. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> we're, we're coming to London. I believe we're going to be in Dublin as well for a few days. We'll have They're to. nowhere near each other. Just so you know, they're not round the corner. I know. No, no, no. I know, but apparently they're like cheap flights or something from Dublin. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. To to London. So that's why we're gonna we're uh, we're doing. I believe we're flying into Dublin and then um, flying from Dublin to London. Okay. And when's that, Mo? Uh, it's supposed to be in uh, late April. That's all right, Mo. We'll get in contact with customs and excise around about the end of March. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a picture. The best and the worst on the box. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. This is the Custard TV Podcast. This week we have uh, four new shows. We have got uh, Apple TV's massive uh, World War II epic Masters of the Air. From Netflix, we have biopic series Griselda, Expats on Prime Video that stars uh, Nicole Kidman, and on BBC Three, we have new supernatural drama Domino Day. But first, uh, we will do our regular What Have We Been Still Watching? And I always want to know uh, when, when he's on the show. Gary, how far are you with Veronica Mars at the moment? <laughs> I've made it all the way to the end of series three, so I'm about to start series four, which is the... Oh, no, hold on. No, hold on. No, I finished two. I'm about to start three, which is the one where she goes to college, which isn't as good as the first two. The fourth series is the one they did a few years ago. They only did three, didn't they? Indeed. And I've got to see the film as well, which I never did see. So that's kind of where we are. No, I'll part that for a little bit. I managed to watch all of last series of Unforgotten. Okay. What did you think to that? I thought it was very good. Once they got over that initial trouble with the fact that those two couldn't work together, I actually began to enjoy it. I actually felt very uncomfortable at the beginning with them not being able to work together. It didn't feel quite right. Mm. But once they got over that, I thought it was a really good, solid series. And I'm looking forward to it. I believe there's going to be more, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and they go to Moe's neck of the woods, America. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, really? oh, that'd be good, a bit of travelling like that. Um, um, and then I'm yeah. halfway through series two of Perry Mason. Okay. 
which again I, I thoroughly enjoy. I enjoyed the first series a lot. I know it didn't get great critical kind of recognition, and I recognise its flaws a little bit, but I do like it, and I do like the idea that it's one see one one case that he does over the whole series and how it unravels and and stuff like that. I really like it. So I'm about there's about I think there's six in that series, and I'm on to episode. Just into episode four, so halfway through. Now, Mo, judging from a conversation that we had on Twitter the other night that you had with Dawn, have you been watching the UK Traitors? Yes, I have. I've I've actually got two more episodes I need to watch. Oh, Uh, so we can't have a conversation about it then. I have to say, Diane was probably like my favorite of the contestants. I've been rooting for her son, Ross, to get revenge. I think this batch of contestants much stronger than the U.S. version, um, mm. I, I, which I've been watching as well. And it's I feel like with, with the U.K. version, you get more insights into these characters, uh, well, character contestants, because they're normal people. Reality stars, mm. people who are doing John Burkow is on the American one, Gary. Yeah, what? what? Does he does he do that every breakfast? He is well all order. <laughs> he's done that a couple times the thing i'll say about the american version alan uh com- he's great as the host his wardrobe budget alone totally eclipses whatever they're, they're giving claudia for hers i've been really really enjoying the second series of uh the uk version mm. um obviously the, the poison chalice was probably my favorite bit so far <laughs> i mean i think losing diane and then losing paul as well but look, you you have to give him credit i mean he played the game well i loved how he took his bow when he left brilliant um, villain yes so no spoilers here from Mimo, but what i will say is i was screaming at the tv <laughs> by the last couple of scenes it, it took me a while to calm down afterwards it was that tense <laughs> final. Did I read yeah. as well that the final got like seven, eight million on BBC One? It peaked at about around seven million on a Friday night. So, yeah, people oh, are hailing it as like the return to uh, linear TV. It was, it was like proper event TV, like when we used to all watch X Factor on a Saturday night, Gary, and sort of tweet yeah. about it and stuff like that, you know, uh, back to the, the olden days, because everyone, bar Gary, obviously, hasn't been watching The Traitors. Uh, the second season of the Australian one has just started uh, airing and is on the iPlayer now as well. I, I've also been watching Death and Other Details, the s- series on Hulu. Probably, um, I'm assuming it's on Disney Plus over there. I don't um, know it. I don't think we've had it. Luke oh. will probably be screaming at, during the edit right now, but I don't think we've had it yet. Uh, what's What's that about? Essentially, probably it's easiest to say it's uh, only murders in the building on a cruise ship. Okay. uh, Mandy Patinkin plays this detective, uh, Rufus Cosworth, and he's just trying to solve a murder on a boat. He's working with a woman named Imogen, and they have a past together. The first episode really does a good job of setting up their past and giving you the broad strokes. But if you're looking for something murders-only-esque or knives-out-esque, definitely keep keep an eye out. I think that in terms of reviews, it's kind of been a little bit mixed. Uh, because of the comparisons to murders and knives out. But I feel like, you know, those kind of slightly lighthearted murder sh- shows ha- have a really good fan following and a good, and, and for me, they're just very easy to watch. Well, we'll certainly uh, keep an eye out for that when it um, 
predictably ends up on uh, on Disney over here. I'm still watching and very much enjoying uh, True Detective. A show that Mar- was made for Gary, so I'm hoping he's going to watch it at some I thought, point. I saw series one and liked it. I just mm. didn't get into series two that much. So but it's I an anthology, it. so you don't have to watch every yeah, series. So I'm like, yeah, I've got, I've got series three saved, I think. There's only mm. been one or two episodes, isn't I've there? not watched any of the other ones, but this... Um, okay. Jodie Foster mm. is, is excellent in it. The actress who plays uh, the other cop whose name escapes me, who used to be a boxer in real life, she is fantastic. But as Dawn rightfully said, as she'd watched episode two already, watching a sex scene involving Jodie Foster and Christopher Eccleston is as weird as you might expect it is. I oh, know you've put me off. <laughs> um, Doctor Who and Clarice Starling, no thank you. If you have that on your 2024 uh, bingo card. Uh, <laughs> uh, the other thing that I finished, um, and Dawn has got an excellent review um, up on the website as well, is uh, Big Boys uh, Series 2, uh, Jack Brooks sitcom, which we spoke about on the last podcast. Absolutely brilliant. It still makes me feel really old because it's like nostalgic for like 2014 and 2015. So there were jokes about like the ice bucket challenge and uh, if you remember the uh, white and gold, blue and black dress thing. Oh, that uh, thing. You know, I suppose if you're younger, you are those are the nostalgic memories that you have. But obviously, you know, us being, I mean, we were doing the podcast then, Gary. That's how soon, soon I, it, say, I feel that was. Me, if you're talking about nostalgic big boys, you're talking about the uh, the bands from the 90s, you know. Bad Boys Inc. Indeed. Not Big Boys Inc. That was. I, I was thinking, thing. what am I thinking of? I don't there was know. a song. There was a band, and they they could they did the song after themselves. Was it Big Boys? I don't know. But yeah, I would really recommend it. It's very funny and very tender. Mark Warren actually makes an interesting uh, cameo in it as well as as Danny's uh, deadbeat dad. Um, but yeah, just a a brilliant uh, British sitcom uh, that I hope comes back. Quickly, because it's been a while since Mo's been uh, with us. Uh, Mo, Geek Confidential, where are we? Where can we listen to it? Talk about it, please. There's We have old episodes on your podcaster of choice. We'll be back at some point with some uh, regularity. Gary, have you started any podcasts recently or anything else you want to plug? No. No. <laughs> I'll keep asking that question, just you know, out of curiosity. One day, you know, there's another series of The Apprentice coming up, you know, so... Will you be watching? Yeah. I don't think I've not watched the series of The Apprentice. I think I've seen the ball. Okie doke. We're here still at thecustardtv.com. We have got, as I said, reviews of uh, Big Boys, the second episode of True Detectives, True Detective, and Masters of the Air, which we will be speaking about very, very shortly. And we are uh, also on all your podcast apps of choice. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find us. All of our episodes uh, dating back to 2011 are almost there. I'm just uploading a couple more. Gary, I have found the uh, episode where you and Luke uh, debate you and Luke's first ever episode. That might be up soon. To listen oh, to oh, what, the, the US versus the UK discussion from yeah. two people in the wrong <laughs> That's the one. Wow. It's what everybody wants to hear, apart oh. from Luke and Gary. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, no, I think that's... I'll give it a listen because it must have been what thirteen years ago. I think twelve. I think it was sort of oh, March twenty twelve. I just want to see if I could sound younger. You know. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> 
But now we are going to speak about uh, Masters of the Air. This is basically like the new show from the makers of Band of Brothers and the Pacific. It's based on a book by uh, Donald Miller. Uh, the focus is on the 100th bomb group of the US Air Force, uh, who were a B-17 flying fortress under the 8th Air Force during World War II. They later went on to be known as the Bloody 100 due to the heavy losses they suffered in combat missions. This first episode is basically a sort of getting to know you type guide ahead of their sort of first mission. So we've got Austin Butler, best known this far as Elvis. He's playing Major Gail Cleven. Cleven. And we've got uh, Callum Turner, one of many British actors in this. He's playing uh, Major John Egan. Them sort of heading to, as I alluded to earlier, East Anglia. England, not going to be any more specific than that for the uh, American viewers. Yeah, so John Egan makes his way there first, um, but is involved in a nearly disastrous mission on his way there. Gail and the rest of the guys uh, rock up later. We've also got um, Anthony Boyle. He's playing uh, the navigator Harry Crosby. That's the character that also narrates the series. Unfortunately for Harry, being up in the air all the time, he is prone to air sickness, which does cause... Uh, a few issues. We've also got uh, Barry Keown in there as well. He's playing Lieutenant Curtis Biddick. And basically, yeah, we build up to the first sort of big, spectacular um, set piece uh, where, unfortunately, not all the planes uh, return home. So this is a big sort of bombastic piece, cinematic in, in scope. Gary, what did you think to Masters of the Air? I absolutely love this. I wasn't a huge fan of Band of Brothers. I have seen most of it, but it didn't quite have that impact that I thought. But I really like this. I really like the camaraderie. I really like the stuff that they did in the air, showing you almost like how difficult it was to fly these planes, how technical and how it takes a crew to, to, to get this thing just up in the air, you know, and, and, and flying, let alone going on a mission. I got real sort of nostalgic views of a really good film called Memphis Bell. Uh, which was kind of similar in that it was about a B-52 bomber. Despite the fact that you've got an amazingly huge cast, and for most of the missions they're wearing masks, you really get to know them. They do a very good job of kind of giving each of them, as you say, the, the, you know, the, the navigator who's got air sickness, you've got a, an extremely religious uh, sub, one sub-pilot, you know, sort of secondary pilot. You're kind of giving each of them that really good kind of vibe of having their own personality. Um, they've also also got nicknames, you know, and the hilarious fact that the two main characters are called Buck and Bucky, and Buck is called Buck because Bucky thinks he looks like a bloke from where he lived, and he didn't accept his real name. He said, "Your name is Buck," and that's it. There were some wonderful moments. Uh, you've also got some good subplots uh, in the fact that you've got a, a major who's in charge, who's clearly dying of something because he's throwing up blood everywhere. At the moment, you're limited to just the Americans, although in the previous episode two. You've got the British are coming, you know, the, you know, the fact that they're going to you know, do missions together. So you've got that huge tension and, and, and probably some room for some good, uh, some more good British actors. I really loved it. And I'll be watching the rest. First, I'll say that this American is familiar with East Anglia, primarily due to Lovejoy. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to, to Gary, I will say that the thing that I honed in the most is the technical aspects of flying the plane. They really do do a, a wonderful job of showing you that this is very complicated and 
even the smallest glitch could be disastrous. I mean, for instance, the whole se sequence involving the landing gear being frozen and not being able to um, to to properly uh, come out uh, because of a crank. And they essentially do this like belly flop into the uh, into a field and you can feel that tension as they're trying mm -hmm. to move that crank. And then once that plan lands, everyone just gets out. And immediately I'm thinking about that plane near disaster that recently occurred in Japan and where folks just evacuated in two minutes. And I'm just literally thinking as the pilots mm. are getting out of that bomber, you know, I'm thinking immediately to this, what is, what is happening in 2024. Callum Turner's Bucky, you know, I immediately I'm thinking about C Theseus from Fantastic Beast and Buck, uh, Austin Butler, uh, obviously Elvis, but it's clear that something's going to happen either with one or both of them. And as you get to know the main, these characters, whether it's Barry Keown's Biddick, you know, I'm worried about those three characters in particular. I haven't felt like I I've connected with a lot of the other characters, except for Crosby. So I'm curious to see, you know, like two, three episodes down the line, how many new characters will, will be influxed into this since, like mm -hmm. you said, you know, their nickname is the Bloody 100. I think that even even though there's a heaviness with this series, with this, this certainly the series in this first episode, I think it's very very watchable, and that I would say it's very uplifting at, at the same time. I have to ask, what did you think of the American accents that the uh, the Brits were doing? I'm not from the Midwest, but I know folks from the Midwest. And I think, I don't know, they could do a little bit more coaching. But but you know what? Here's the thing. The accents aren't really going to take me out of the story. Okay? Mm -hmm. You know, I can I can live with with that. There there's if sometimes there's variations on the accents. I would agree with with some of the stuff that you were saying, Mo, about the characterization. Apart from the actors I knew, I suppose, I knew which characters I was following. I was a bit lost when it was people that I didn't recognise, if that makes sense. I obviously, I know Callum Turner from the dramas he's done over here, and I know Austin Butler, and I know uh, Barry Keown. But when it was anyone else, they did feel a little bit like interchangeable white men. I don't know if I'm the only one who feels a little bit like that. I know um, Luke's review on the website, he struggled with the the character stuff. I think it looks fantastic. I think, you know, it was like, is it about $200,000 they spent on this? And you can tell, you know, a lot has gone into the action scenes. I think I agree with, with you guys as well. When we're actually up in the air, when we're looking at the mechanics of this, mm. the issues behind the flying, how many different things can go wrong and how quickly the, the guy who's um, suit you know, he's shot off and he goes really cold. It is just like, oh, you know, when you see this and it's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. When you read about World War Two, or you've seen films and, and TV shows, you know, we've seen so many. It's it's hard to get like a new perspective. And I think they've managed it. And I sort of by the end of this episode, I sort of got where we were going in terms of the it's about the experiences of these men and how they change as they have been up in the air, like the scene at the end where 
Austin Butler says to Callum Turner, you know, why didn't you tell me what it was like up there? I thought that was a very sort of poignant line. There are bits in there that feel a little bit sort of cliched. Some of the dialogue was a little bit cliche, but I think you can get away with it with something like this, you know, because it has got that classic edge to it. The opening title sequence as well was very much sort of classic sort of war film. This feels very much of the era of like Band of Brothers, like the the old sort of peak TV era, uh, as we call it. I think we said that about True Detective as well. So, yeah, definitely a, a visual spectacle. And I'm hoping the sort of the character work catches up with it, if that makes sense. According to Wikipedia, that trusted source, it costs $250 million for the nine episodes. Okay, so I'm Mr. Zero. Yes. <laughs> I should be I should be in uh, in tax, really, shouldn't I? I should be in accountancy. About, what, 25 million an episode, roughly, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic experience. I think the advice I would give people is to watch it on the biggest tv screen that you have got in the house because that's where you you will get the the, obviously we were watching a preview so we were sort of limited to the sort of the size of screen we could watch it on but if you've got like your your massive tellies with your you know your subwoofers or what have you then (laughs) it is a it is very much a cinematic experience on the small screen so that would be the advice uh the first two episodes that are there at the moment on apple tv plus and then it is weekly on a Friday, one episode per week. Let us move on now next then to uh, Netflix's Griselda, which Gary said he would like to set up. So we will let him set this up. So this stars Stavia Vergara, who I only know from Modern Family. I don't know if she's been in a lot else. But she basically plays the, character, the lead character Griselda. And it's set in 1978. And we open up. It looks like she's been stabbed by her husband and she picks up her three kids and moves them from Columbia to Miami. She moves in with a friend who uh, is a fellow battered wife from what we can gather, or you know, someone who's been abused by her husband who now owns a travel agency. But Griselda is still very much involved in the drug dealing side that she was in in Columbia. She and her husband uh, used to deal drugs to New York and she brought a kilo of coke with her. And in a local club, she tries to instigate a drug deal with a low-level kind of greasy guy that she bumps into, literally. And she's basically trying to sell him the drug so that she can get to the big boss. But this backfires a bit because she gets turned down by the big boss. And the the low-level guy basically beats her up in the car park and steals her drugs. She then goes and gets revenge, uh, something she's very good at, with a baseball bat. And she catches him trying to push it away from the boss. So she blackmails him into getting her into the local drug scene. Uh, she brings with her a guy from her local coffee shop who is Colombian. She brings him along as hired help. And then you get this kind of dark cinematic scene of basically a shootout, a, a drug deal gone wrong. She meets a local drug dealer with a big nose and effectively they get raided. And this is her way back into the big boss back at the club. In that scene, she, you know, the violence that you see is very real, very, very graphic. And she ends up going back to the big boss. She can get more drugs from her country, and she agrees to, to do, do a deal with him. In a series of strange little flashbacks, we get to find out that although it seems like her husband was the one that was abusing her, and it's true, he, he was effectively giving her to his brother in order to 
try and make a drug deal go smoother. So you, paying uh, off his debt, it was, Gary. Paying off his debt, isn't it, yet, so that he yeah. can get back into the game. And she basically kills him because of this. And the, the wounds that you see right at the beginning that you might think were from a stab route, she looks to be from recoil from the fact that she shoots him in, in quite sort of a strange situation. Although she's got good reason to, you know, he basically sort of you know, gave up his, his wife to his brother. And it appears that she's still got very strong links with the drug deals in Colombia. It's very narcos, very, very, very drug heavy. Matt, what did you think of it? Yeah, to the extent that there's a quote from Pablo Escobar at the start of the uh, yeah. of the first episode, isn't there, saying, was it something like he, she was the only drug dealer he was ever afraid of or something like that? Something so, like that, or ever, pr- ever proud of or something. Proud of. But yeah, this is very much a passion project for Sofia Vergara. She also uh, produced this as well. I would say the first episode, as you say, it's, it's very narcos, very Scarface. It's a lot of beats that we've seen before, I think, in drug-related dramas set in the 1970s or, the you know, with 78 here, I'm assuming we go into the 1980s as well. I think, again, the period setting is very well done. The costumes, the seedy nightclubs that Griselda goes to 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 sell her drugs. The travel agent looks very sort of retro. And I thought, actually, Sofia Vergara was really captivating in this role, as you say, mainly known for Modern Family or as a sort of a personality on her own right. She's done, I think, a couple of series of America's Got Talent on the judging panel this is her sort of big dramatic role. I think having seen a clip of a subsequent episode when she was on Graham Norton, I think it gets a little bit more unique in that she it's her trying to convince other women selling her product, which is, an you know, the, oh, right. it, like a, a feminist take on what is a very male genre. That's sort of where it goes a little bit more. So as I said, it, it felt quite like something I'd seen before in in aspects of the plot but at the same time it's got this really sort of fierce lead performance from someone who you really want to see and who's someone who is really passionate I think about telling this story what about you Mo? I will say that the narcos connections are very strong <laughs> one of the uh creators behind the, the show was the showrunner for for narcos and narcos mm-hmm. mexico so netflix likes to keep the drug trade in the in the family <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> she is truly transformed outside of her voice whatever makeup and prosthetics they're using to transform her into Griselda. It's wonderful. I think that this series, I mean, again, I've only seen the first episode, is really going to elevate her in terms of people thinking of her as much more of a dramatic actress in addition to being a comedic actress. And and like you both have said, this is familiar territory. You you get all the different tropes and so you know, the drug deal gone wrong, mm-hmm. you know, someone trying to get back into into the game. I- initially I thought the music kind of took me out but once i got used to the music i think it helped i wouldn't say make this comedic but i it it certainly added levity yeah a bit of levity i think that the music does help elevate the mood a bit and i mean there are some hysterical scenes so for instance when griselda gets her money back from johnny you know when she takes the baseball bat and 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 to get her get her her coke back and and how you know, when the, the meeting with the bird and when there's these 
allusions to the bird not only just having a big nose, a big beak rather, but also other large appendages as well. So I, I'm I'm definitely hopeful that this leads to Sofia Vergara getting more dramatic roles and really more opportunities to do a bit of producing because she she produced on, on this series as well. So you're going to continue watching Emma? Yeah, I'm going to slot it in somewhere. Um, You know, I actually watched this with my wife and she really enjoyed it as well. We'll figure out how to slot it in. It's not like at the top of my priority list, but it's only six episodes. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like I I am interested in seeing how far it goes. I actually did some Googling just to find out what happened to her. Kind of curious about how far this series goes in, in, in terms of her personal timeline. I always wonder with these biopic dramas as well, whether it would have been better being like a a two-hour film rather than a six-hour series. It does feel now like we're getting a lot more, you know, based on a true story type things, which, you know, in a way it helps flesh the story out. But in the case of this, are we going to get a lot of sort of repeated moments of drug deals gone wrong? Yeah, particularly because at the end of episode one, you've lost already two or three characters that probably could have lasted the whole series. But in a film, Mm. it wouldn't have mattered. No. <laughs> I wasn't enamored with it. Every, everybody smokes in every every scene. This picture must have been sponsored by Lambert and Butler. I mean, and it, I know it's got <laughs> Ask your time, parents. Like, I know, sorry, yeah, Marlboro Lights, sorry, whatever the latest <laughs> is. It felt like my smoking was another character. It was so prevalent there. But it is the um, 1970s in Miami, Gary. True. Yeah. True. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. I was a bit disappointed about the lack of involvement of the children. Maybe that will come. You know, they've been uprooted. You know, really, you only got a few moments, you know, particularly of them leaving the house. And From what I understand, as it goes on, like she alienates her children as a result of her becoming like this drug baron. They don't want to be in Miami. They're, They're being forced. And two of them are almost of age where they probably could have made their own decision. But, you know, so it does seem a little bit weird. Don't think I'll carry on. I, I do think Sofia Vergara was good, and I think it's possible that she's overshadowing anybody else trying to get in a little bit. There was no other standouts from me. Everyone else was a bit generic. Not my genre, not my thing. No, I, I'm sort of with you, Gary. While I admired certain aspects of it, as you say, aside from Griselda, there wasn't a lot to like, and it was very sort of tropey but as Mo said it's six episodes it's all on Netflix now uh, if you want to check it out and now we move from Netflix to uh, Prime Video where we find Expats Uh, this is based on a novel called The Expatriates by Janet Y.K. Lee it's directed by uh, Lulu Wong who uh, probably most famous for The Farewell uh, with her big film a few years ago this is another series starring Nicole Kidman. She's playing uh, Margaret Wu, who uh, is a landscape gardener who gave up her career to follow her husband Clark to Hong Kong uh, for his own work. This episode basically sets up that something has happened and it has affected all of the characters, although we are not going to show you the thing or really tell you until the second episode where you sort of are showing it. So in a way, episode two is the Luke special. This is the whole thing. And then we are going to flash back in episode two. So Margaret and Clark have got two children. Something happened to their third child, Gus. We see a picture that is drawn by 
Uh, other some where um, Gus is on there as well and, and it's a, a party planner who's planning Clark's birthday for Margaret asks about Gus and she quickly changes the subject. The Wu family alongside several other families from America, so the other expats, they all live in this building called The Peak. Uh, this includes um, a lady called Valerie, who was a friend of Margaret's, but they've sort of severed ties to an extent. They're not as close again after this event that has happened, which has also got something to do with Valerie's husband, David. We are told that he told some lies, which led up to uh, this incident involving Gus. As we reach Clark's birthday party, uh, we see his parents are there and they're trying to convince uh, the family to move back to America. And then we see Margaret grip with emotion. She spots a girl called Mercy, who is working as uh, one of the waiters at this party. And she sees Margaret and runs away. Uh, Margaret and Valerie are briefly reunited um, before a stray comment uh, from the former sees the uh, tie severed once again. You then have to watch episode two really to find out what happened, why all these characters are so devoid of emotions to an extent why everyone is so upset mo what what did you make of this what was your feelings it's hillary who's uh the neighbor oh hillary not valerie sorry not valerie yeah i couldn't get over the fact that uh yeah like you said matt everyone's seen medicated obviously (laughs) uh, (laughs) the Wu family definitely can understand that you know it's the death of a child you know, is, is something that folks are, uh, uh, that everyone's going to struggle with. We see how Margaret is struggling. I feel as though this character is on the verge of a, of a serious sort of breakdown. I think Nicole Kidman did a wonderful job portraying this mother in crisis and in distress and just trying to be normal in the moment as much as possible. And her husband, Clark, clearly it's setting up there's a sequence with him attending a church service obviously the drawing that was drawn by their son that depicts Gus in the company of Jesus obviously it's setting up a central conflict with within that family but i feel like i needed a bit more momentum just because i felt as though since everyone just felt so devoid of it, it's sort of cliche to say life I, I really struggled to feel like I wanted to engage w- with these characters. I was a little bit curious about what is going on between Hillary's husband and Margaret or whatever this incident that was. Uh, the Mercy scenes, you know, was interesting. I would be kind of curious to learn more about exactly how she met uh, Margaret and Hillary. But again, that opening sequence where uh, the actress who portrays Mercy running down this list of incidents in which an individual is victimized. I mean, that really took me out of it, especially for the length that it went on. I was just wondering, was I ri- watching the right show? <laughs> um, yeah. I, it felt like it was something added in, you know, not necessarily a disclaimer, but, you know, at the end of the show, you know, saying that if you need help, seek out these agencies to help you help support you it, it just really felt out of place at the opening so i'm just really struggling w- with interest in this show plus it feels like nicole camden has played 
a similar type of character yeah. in a lot of things. Big Little Lies, The Undoing. It just seems like, can, can she get happier roles that are better than what she got in Aquaman and Aquaman 2? And she's actually done this role. I don't know if either of you seen the film Rabbit Hole, but she plays a grieving mother in that, and that is a lot more nuanced and believable really having seen the trailer for this mo i think that it's actually what happened to gus was that he went missing and that mercy was looking after him at the time i think that's what happened i may be wrong but i think that's that's actually what's happened for me this felt like the missing the british tv series the missing that sort of went between the two timelines so you got to see the impact of the family was after the missing episode and before. And I think the first episode that ended with the child going missing, whereas this is all what happens afterwards and we don't get to see what happens before. And I don't know if that's sort of like the structure of the book, perhaps, or if this is a decision that Lulu Wong has made. But for me... You want to know these characters before the tragedy. You want to see them in happier times. I think that's why we either get, you know, a big inciting incident happening at the end of a first episode or we get the Luke special. Seeing characters after something's happened, certainly in a TV show where you've got six or eight episodes, it just doesn't work. As Mo said, everyone feels medicated. Everyone is reserved because they are dealing with this tragedy that we don't know exactly what's happened and I don't think they do enough to help us to piece everything together they're being purposely obtuse those first two episodes are there now they want you to watch that second episode I did watch the first three or four minutes just to get an idea of it and it is set in the past and it does presumably build up to let you know what's happened I really struggled with this first episode purely because I just couldn't get on board with any, anyone. I think it looked really nice. It, you know, Hong Kong looks fantastic. It's shot really well. The sort the hustle and bustle and stuff like that. But there wasn't, to use a Luke expression, there wasn't enough to hang your hat on, really. <laughs> missed opportunity, this, I feel. I understand the idea of messing with time. But with this, I absolutely agree. That opening message of, we like to look at the perpetrators, not the victims. And I'm like, am I watching expats? I, like you said, Mo, I clicked on the screen and went, have I clicked the wrong show? What on earth has this got to do with anything? Then you learn as you go through the show and you pick up little bits. And yet the characters are dull. The only scene in which you see anything close to something you can grab onto is the blondie singing along scene with Nicole Kidman in the cafe. And they go out after the 50th birthday, after the incident where she's seen Mercy and she's hungry, so she needs to eat. And she gets up and she starts singing. And you kind of get a feeling like, yeah, OK, maybe this is what her life was like before this happened. Maybe she was exciting and carefree and liked karaoke. But then it stops. And as you said, Matt, in your intro, something is said that returns it back to the status quo. It automatically goes back to these very dour, like almost they woke up for a minute and then went back to sleep. And the whole thing is a missed opportunity. Nicole Kidman is good, but you're putting almost all your eggs in one basket of how good Nicole Kidman is. You're not surrounding her with anyone else of note or anyone else that really shines through at all. The character of Mercy didn't come through at all. And she's supposed to be like, you know, she's supposed to be the narrator, the protagonist. I don't think I'm going to watch the second episode because they didn't grip me enough to want to bother. 
they didn't leave me with any hook at all to want to come back to it. I agree. It's such a bold stroke to do something like this, and I just don't think it's panned out. And I don't think maybe it's the actor's fault. I think it's what they've been given, really. I don't think it particularly matters if they're known or not, and sometimes it helps if they're not, because you're not sort of projecting what you know of those actors previous. But here, I just think everyone was very ill-served with the, the story and the characters and the fact you couldn't really empathise with them fully because you didn't know what had happened to them. So you just had to sort of make your own mind up a little bit, which I don't think worked here. It is there now, the first two episodes on Prime. I think it will be one a week, but Prime are very odd with their how many episodes they put up a week. So if you want to watch it, check it out. And yeah, be weekly on Fridays, uh, like Masters of the Air. Finally, we come to our only British offering of the week and we head to BBC Three where we all feel very old because this TV really isn't made for us. But we've got uh, Domino Day. This is a new supernatural drama uh, created and written by a person called Lauren Sequeria. This is her first show she's created. It stars um, Sienna Kelly as the titular Domino Day. Sienna Kelly, probably best known uh, for her role in uh, Adult Material, the Channel 4 drama a few years ago. Domino Day is a witch, but she's still trying to sort of harness her powers a little bit. Uh, she gains her power by feeding on uh, the energy of men that she meets on dating apps. We get a very graphic sequence in the first sort of five or so minutes where she meets this really obnoxious finance bro who tries to have his way with her, but she turns the tables and basically zaps all of his energy. Unbeknownst to Domino, her exploits are being watched by Sammy, a member of a local coven of witches, who is troubled by Domino's aura and begins tracking her along with her her fellow witches. Uh, Meanwhile, Domino is starting to fall for the kindly bartender, Leon. They aren't going on a date, but unfortunately, again, it ends badly when she sort of instinctively saps his power. And the episode ends with the reappearance of Domino's ex-boyfriend, Silas, who is the man who sort of first introduced her to her powers and helped her to harness them to an extent. And we are led to believe he is very much bad news. I will go to Mo first on this because it is a, a genre show. Uh, Mo, sort of where does it stack up for you in sort of like the supernatural sort of world? I did a little bit of reading about Domino Day and I did remember hearing about this series before you asked me to, to watch it for, for the podcast. You know, everything I was hearing was another attempt at trying to recapture that magic of Buffy, you know, through the lens of a witch this time. And, and I have to say, it felt very contemporary in terms of dealing with the apps and so forth, meeting up with finan- with douchey people that you've found on a dating app. I enjoyed this. I want to know more about how Domino first access her powers, maybe a bit more about her her lineage. There was a whole lot of world building in this first episode, even with that coven talking about their elders, potentially there's a lot here. You know, and I think that the actors who played Leon and Domino, it was a meet cute moment when she first meets him at the bar, which I thought was really cute. Though the three of us may not be the target audience, I think that there's certain aspects of the show that you can grab onto. You just can't take it seriously. And, and people need to stop looking for the next Buffy. I, I think that if you enjoy this for what it is and what it does, 
then you'll find something in here that you like. I think that this is a crowd pleaser for those who may have enjoyed Discovery of Witches. You just don't have to take this very seriously to be sucked into the world. Though you don't want a day to succubus. I mean, yeah, exactly. There are the analogies there about sort of the modern dating world to an extent, even though the metaphors may be a little bit heavy handed at times. Gary, was this the reason you came off Tinder? Uh, I've never even been on Tinder. I'm um, sure you were, didn't we do? I'm sure there was an episode entitled no. Gary's on Tinder. I'm sure there was an episode back in the I, day. I think like most things I've said on this podcast, that's been pure fantasy. Okay. I agree with most. Someone is trying to, someone's seen a few episodes of Buffy. Someone's probably watched a few episodes of, of um, oh gosh, what's the witches one that came afterwards? Charmed. Yeah, and, and there's elements of, of, of those kind of things. I watched Buffy, I watched Angel, I watched a few episodes of Charmed. It wasn't my favourite. There's something there, but as Mo said, it's certainly not aimed at my age group, not aimed at, I mean, BBC Three isn't, so I mean, that's what I knew coming in. It's well produced, it's well done. It has a gritty and dark look that fits the genre. It certainly paints Manchester as like having an underground I you know, like to say, someone who visits Manchester regularly, there aren't actually witches there, Gary. Well, you know, <laughs> you've not met any of them. So, I mean, you can cast it. I, I kind of agree, yeah, that the character of Leon was interesting in the sense that he's not the douchey guy that she normally goes for. And there is that kind of lamentation, isn't there, after she sucks his soul out or whatever she does. She said, Oh, you could have been the one, you know. And I thought, like, could have been like a series she, long arc thing that you can do she doesn't want it. to do it in a way does she she's no she's trying to hook up with another douchey guy because she doesn't want to take advantage of of him and then right at the end and I'm, I'm sorry if i don't think you mentioned this but she basically sends jason to another dimension or kills him i'm not quite sure mm. which he's the guy she went on the first day with and he videoed it and was blackmailing her yeah. I mean, he sort of, again, he was a horrible character. Instead of asking for money, he just said, get on your knees and beg me to not release, not to give you the video. And it's quite a douchey thing to do. I mean, recording somebody without their knowledge is incredibly douchey. The only real kind of thing that I would find interesting is what is in Silas's book. You know, she's trying to, his grandwife or something? I couldn't, I can't remember the exact wording, but some sort of book that he's got that he's got locked or it's blank and she's gone to this guy in a shop who can potentially unlock it that's the only thing that i found of any interest i found no interest in her as a character or the lifestyle that she's leading they could have gone a slightly different direction in maybe showing what not taking the life force of someone does to her you know does she begin to deteriorate i don't know well, i think we saw that didn't we got a little yeah. bit but not much i would have liked a little bit more of that as part of her backstory I enjoyed it as as I said, someone who goes to Manchester on a regular basis. I recognise quite a lot of the places that they use. I recognise the streets that um Leon and Domino were walking up after she has her almost sort of fainting fit when they're out together. It went as Gary said, it went at, at a pace, but I enjoyed that. It was it forty five minutes long. It never lost my like these other shows, some of them lost my attention and this never did. I thought it was Really well paced. Um, Sienna Kelly was brilliant as Domino. There wasn't any time I was like, I don't want to spend time with this. I think you feel maybe a little bit too old at places because of yeah. it feeling like things you've already watched. But I didn't even have that to an extent. I, I did enjoy how this was putting a modern spin on it, even though I think everything that you've got a girl with young powers that sort of, you know, 
dramatic but has got comedic notes i think you are going to be compared to buffy but i think this has got enough different from it to a buffy to to make it unique there are some bits where i thought you can tell that this is from a first time writer but i think good for bbc3 for giving opportunities to first time writers and things that are a little bit outside of the norm things that are a bit more daring like this is you know it feels like at times you're just being plunged into this world that you're maybe you know you've missed the first episode and because when you're with as you say that date with with domino and jason you feel like have i missed like five minutes of explanation and i enjoyed that we were in there and we had to sort of work it out ourselves and then later on we were given a little bit more about domino and her aura and silas and all of this stuff so I'm not the biggest sort of fan of like genre shows, but I did enjoy it. I don't think I'll be going on with it, but I hope people do check this out. I hope our review is giving at least a little bit of exposure to it and people who do like that kind of thing will seek Hmm. it out. Mo, obviously, I think the three of us, this is your cup of tea. Would you be continuing with it? Would you be putting it on the list with Griselda? I'm definitely going to put it on the list and it actually will be higher than Griselda this would uh, pair pretty well with uh, extra extraordinary. Mm, the, yeah, uh, good, good show. I'm definitely going to continue with it. Six episode will probably all be on the iPlayer uh, by the time uh, you hear this. I think it's Wednesdays on BBC Three. If it does sound like your cup of tea, give it a check out because I think it's good for like little shows like this to succeed. So let's let's hope that people do seek it out. A big thank you to Gary and to Mo for joining us. Uh, do you want to go through where we can find you online? We'll start with Mo. You can find me, Dr. Mo77, on Twitter. I'm also on Blue Sky and Threads. And Gary, if people do uh, want to find you. You can find me at The Gary Show on X, Twitter, Threads. Do we still call it Twitter or do we have to call it X legally? I don't know. X, um, formerly known as Twitter, I see. <laughs> on yeah. articles. You can find me at Matt's TV Bites. You can find more about the site at Luke Custard TV. At Custard TV uh, pod is the podcast Twitter. Uh, we are also on Instagram. It's the Custard TV. We are on Facebook if you search the Custard TV. And you can contact us via email, reviews at gmail.com. Or there is a contact us form on the website if you would like to be either part of the site or part of the podcast. We are always looking for new contributors. Next time, we will be hopefully firing up the time machine uh, to go back to January of 1999. But until then, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Facebook.